Today's interview is with Jason Orr. Jay got a start playing guitar with the band Benchmark in Woodbridge, Virginia in the early 1990s, and by the late 90s, had moved down to Richmond to play guitar with the hardcore band 804. He then went on to play with one of my favorite bands ever, Dead Serious. He also contributed vocal duties with Pressure Luck and the infamous Bar Fight. I first met Jay in 1997, hanging out on Gray Street here in Richmond, Virginia, when a friend introduced us, and having lost my best friend the year before, meeting new friends was something I was open to. What I didn't realize was it was the beginning of a friendship that would last for decades to come. Jay is one of the most thoughtful, honest, and moral people I know. As a friend, he has shown me, through example, how to be a better and happier person, while never ignoring the world and the politics of the world around us. For folks like him, they are inseparable, and I'm thankful to share two tattoos with him. So, it is with great honor, and a bit at his own protest, and me nagging him for years, I present to you my conversation with Jay Orr. How did you get into um, punk rock? Skateboarding, definitely. Um, I mean, I was into rock and roll, you know, and, and, and like, I loved Kiss. Right. You know, I loved the, you know, the imagery and the, you know, I, you know, my dad being an artist, we had lots of music in our house. They like all kinds of music. And for me, it was a lot of the, you know, the imagery got me into a lot of shit. And so skateboarding, I had a friend named uh, Andrew Moore and he had an older brother uh, that put him on to some, some punk music. And like, I had a tape that had broken bones and doggy style and uh, just a bunch of stuff recorded on two sided tape. Like the Snoop record? No, uh, like, uh, it's like an old West Coast, I think. I think West Coast punk band. Oh, shit. Okay. Doggy style. D.I., you know, Suburbia soundtrack. The movie, How old he had you? Suburbia, you know what I mean? I was in the sixth to seventh grade, seventh grade. Okay. My man made. Um, so, you know, 86, 87. And this was in Woodbridge, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, there are a lot of skaters, a lot of older punks and stuff. Um, you know, there was a couple years before I knew what the straight edge was. I did have a minor threat tape that I loved. I played on my boom, I'm on my uh, Walkman on the bus. Right. But, you know, the, it was the suburbs, dude. So people were like, I don't know, punks were, were scary. You know what I mean? They burned themselves, cut themselves. You know what I mean? Skip school, fucking, you know what I mean? It was a lot of... Uh, yeah, that like Wild that that shit. suburban fear shit kind of put on it. Like, like when I was a kid, my mom was like afraid of black. Like parents were Just like the color black, color black back then. <laughs> oh yeah, like you're you're troubled, right? You know what I mean? You're gothic. There's <laughs> something wrong with this kid. Like you see him at the pool with his boots on and shit. Like, right? You know, there were a bunch yeah. of older dudes uh, in our town that were like, yeah. I mean, they were like. You know, that's a problem child. And then, you know, the guy who turned me on to to a lot of shit, his parents, you know, he had a, he had quarter pipes in his cul-de-sac, you know what I mean? Had a nice home. But, you know, his parents split up. They had two different homes, you know what I mean? And he had older brothers, I think, where he was the baby. He was the one still in the home, but he kind of ba- bounced back and forth between his mom and his dad. You know, this is middle school still, but he's, like, skipping school, you know. And people that were around that were, yeah, man, I mean, it was, like, I don't know. It was the latchkey era. Everybody's parents were at work. Kids were drunk, smoking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know. Far cry from today, man. But that's something you're you're talking about those, like, that imagery and stuff. Like, you know, I think the first time, because back then, the the punk bands, if you looked in, like, the back of Thrasher, you know, like, that was, like, the first time I saw punk was, like, in the in the very back, you know, they'd have like the ads for like, you know, like skate rock tapes and all that, like uh skate master Tate and all that and whatnot. And uh, I remember seeing like where the skaters would skate, like there'd be like concrete stuff. I remember the first time I ever saw a DK logo, I was probably in like fourth grade and someone had spray painted it down at like at the little skate spot in my neighborhood. But like yeah. that whole thing, that imagery, like it was a really powerful, like the logos, all that stuff. Like that stuff is so cool to you when you're that age. 
Yeah, well, so there were enough. I'd see enough of those logos on people's shirts. DK, I got a shirt, I think, at the mall, Springfield Mall. Uh, had a place where you can get, well, there's a newsstand at Tumblr Mills. There was, like, Hong Kong gift shop. You can get, I got a Nazi punk fuck off shirt. I don't think I had really heard DK yet, but, like, yeah. <laughs> I, wanted, <laughs> I wanted that. I, you know, I had, like, the exploited back patch, you know what I mean, like, you know, there's a lot of stuff in the gift store. There was like you would see the image, and before you even knew what the band was like, you wanted the. Yeah, hell like, yeah. Already. <laughs> hell yeah, you just knew it was good. Yeah. Well, so at any point, did you like become aware, you know, being up there in Northern Virginia that, like, I mean, because, you know, I grew up in Richmond, and, you know, when I first heard my threat, like, it was kind of crazy because it's like, you know, this band's from fucking an hour away like it's kind of crazy when the bands you're listening to before were like from like new york or la or something like that and they're like rock stars and did well, you feel that, yeah, that kind of thing no i didn't feel like it was rock stars so like you know in middle school people were into the misfits people were into a lot of shit that we you know that we had kind of missed but it was like you know it had all the graphic imagery and all the stuff like they were punk but like i don't know when i started to realize like oh uh village skis and bikes was a tech it's mill um, skate shop and there was a dude that worked there who was a skinhead and he was straight edge right and he was like okay. <clears throat> and when I say skinhead like people were already shaving down like you know but they were youth crew straight edge kids these dudes were boots and braces skinheads positive outbursts big up to Jeff Gilbert and Anthony only you know and he you know was basically showing me all these bands that are happening right now New York stuff whatever and you know he would make us tapes but we'd be skating at Tackett's Mill uh, you know, the older guys would roll through. A couple of people had older brothers. That's how I met Tommy Anthony. You know what I mean? And it's like, oh, there's shows happening. Listen to this. They're coming to D.C. You know, I had been up to Smash. My mom had taken me up to Georgetown. You see punks there. You see, you know, again, like you're saying, you see, you know, the shirts. And the, the, so far as rock stars, yeah, they were already like all these people. Right. They were into this fucking punk thing. You know what I'm saying? Like it was happening. It wasn't like... um the bands were rock stars. It was like the people doing it were, to me, the rock stars. Right. Yeah, like it, it like larger than life. But but then simultaneously, it's also like really accessible. Like, was that weird that you could like listen to a record and then go into DC and know that like this band was here, from here like not too long ago? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. As I was getting familiar with the music, I was going up to DC a lot. My friend's dad lived in uh, Mount Pleasant, and we would skate all through DC and see all the flyers and see a lot of the places. And you would see the nine thirty club, see like DC space. And, you know, talking about a lot of years, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, like from my, like my first glimpse of it, just immediately being pulled to it. Like I was trying to get further away from Woodbridge as early as I can remember, like going to DC, seeing, you know, all the graffiti in DC at that time was political. Everything was painted in black and red. Like, you know, Cuban Missile Crisis, you know, get out of El Salvador shit. I mean, it was just, and then you would see fucking skinheads, and you, you know, you're seeing all this shit on the news about skinheads, and a lot of that shit was going on, I guess, in D.C., Rock Creek Park, skinheads, they weren't like the, you know, the cool New York guys that we all get along with at the shows. Like, these guys were, you know, that's when the term fag bashing came out, you know what I mean? And they would go assault right. people. And, so were they like sharps, or were they Nazis? I don't think what? they were sharps, no. I don't know. I don't really know, because, again, that was before my time, the whole punk jury pub days like some of the stories you hear i you know it's a little before my time but i just remember being young enough to not know you just see a bunch of like grown people with boots up to their knees you know what i mean and mm. like not really feeling if it'd be different if you roll up on a park and you can tell when there was like a a political vibe that was right safe there was a lot of like good resistance protest shit going on in dc and you would you know you could tell if it was like a tolerant <laughs> place right be, you know what i mean like yeah no, you, you just couldn't get the vibe of like you just knew these guys were hateful but you couldn't really get the vibe of like which which way <laughs> right well by so by the time i was going to shows you would see and then you're like start to learn like okay definitely by the time i was going gut instinct was playing skinheads in dc you know coming from baltimore it was not a white boy thing particularly you know what i'm saying it didn't have that vibe like it was definitely um Skinheads were good in my when I was growing up. Like, right. Uh, 
they were, you know, the guys you could look up to, you know what I mean? And they were very accepting. Like you go to smash or you go to these places, you get the flyers, you look in the city paper, find out when it's happening, man, you get a, You know what I mean? You get a couple t-shirts and go to a couple shows and you're in, you know what I mean? It's like at least, a, you know, 13, 14 years old. It was just like, yo, they were just surprised we showed up. That's awesome. So what year was that really that you were like starting to really get into like, you know, like let's say your first show, what, what year do you think that was? 88 damn I want to say well so so you're going there as a fan when the hell did you because you play guitar in a bunch of bands a lot of it coming right out of this time period like coming pretty starting pretty soon after that how did you get from you know being a fan of music to starting to play guitar and actually play in bands one of my first shows at safari club you know, bold played. And these guys were like 16 years old. You know what I mean? And every band that would come from New York would kind of tell you like, Hey man, we're just kids up here. This stage isn't that big. Get up here with us. Talk to us after. And I, and I think like after that show, I talked to every band I saw after, I mean, I at least went up to them, told them they, you know, did the damn thing, introduced myself. And and that's it. Mm -hmm. Like I had a great time. Nice to meet you. But every band I saw, I felt like I was able to talk to. That was the introduction. Like, hey, come here. We're not playing to you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was the immediate draw. Like, you can, you, you know, you can do this. So we, you know, some of us had guitars or drums, and we would play stuff. We weren't. Well, you know, it was a few years later before I was comfortable enough to play in a band. Well, I wasn't as comfortable then, but <laughs> by the time I, you know, I got in a band and we played shows and shit, it was like ninety probably 92 or you know what i'm saying 93 so your first band you guys played shows yeah yeah (laughs) did y'all do a demo we did do a demo what was the name of the band benchmark okay so there was yeah a lot of uh you know a lot of stuff well so tommy anthony uh they were doing bands right out the gate tommy knew how to play fucking drums (laughs) he hit them hard (laughs) you know what i mean right um shadow man there's case closed and shadow man and so, like, they're already playing parties and shows. And, you know, they got out of town and played shows. And we'd go with them. You know what I mean? And Just to, like, chill and stuff? Oh, I mean, just to get out of town and race out. Like, we were ruckusing by then when uh, we went out to Roanoke and, you know, Shadow Man's playing. And we're just, like, showing them how to fucking what we call ruckusing. And we were just breaking bottles and, you know, <laughs> fucking <laughs> destroying their alley. And they were like, fuck. Yeah, I think that bunch of them got in trouble after. They were just like, hell yeah, when they came down here, we're just going to smash pumpkins and oh my break God. shit, destroy. How I don't know. I mean, I must have been close to 16 if I wasn't by then, you know what I mean? Cause, hell yeah. Um, yeah, because those guys were driving and shit. Uh, the guys in Tommy's band, Joe Crawford and Rob, and them, they, would, uh, they were driving. So we would, by then we were going, I was going to DC Space Show's Tuesday nights. You know what I mean? 16 years old. Safari Club on the weekends. 9.30 Club on any random weeknight. My parents, you know, as soon as I had friends that could drive, we were we were going to shows. Any kind of show. Wow. And they were into so, this cool different stuff. Like, we met them at a Gorilla Biscuit show. You know what I mean? They were into the same kind of shit we were into. But like you were saying, D.C. at that time, like, you know, we would make treks up to Vinyl Link and to Tower Records. And you would just try to see all these connections so like yeah they were way into all kinds of music really i mean other other scenes you know what i mean even if it's from different mm-hmm. times they would get into they were into a lot of good shit you know so yeah we were in, you know getting to see seaweed and just yeah dc was a really weird cool place to um see different bands so when you guys started playing um what was that like i mean was did you guys get shit for being so young because you were 16 when you started doing um benchmark right 17 i guess yeah okay yeah so i mean was that pretty you said there's a lot of younger bands back then was so that was you guys are kind of doing something that a lot of bands were doing at that point like age-wise um i would say well like i said so like tommy had an older brother who was in a band step aside and they were playing shows and parties and backyards but they were playing the safari club shows and shit and you know like virginia beach playing with as it stands and all that shit so by the time shadow man started or case closed started mm. they would get on they would you know take them with them you know what i mean so step aside and case closed would play with as it stands or how we met all the beach kids and 
so by the time they were like those guys weren't you know but in their teens as well you know what i'm saying like step aside was putting out records and they were in high school you know what i mean like we were freshmen or whatever but they were still in high school putting out seven inches and shit right so yeah like lennis would call you know by then we're already learning how to distro and shit lennis would call labels get a get 50 records of whatever you know on colored vinyl we'd sell them at school (laughs) wow sell lennis's stickers and shit at school when you guys made your demo and stuff you guys just self-released that or yeah so um kelly o'brien his family is mormon and uh they had lived in like College Park, I think, before they lived in Woodbridge, but had always been a part of that church, so they knew a guy. It was like um, the Maddens, like the good Charlotte dudes. It was like their uncle. I want to say it was like some shit like their uncle. We went up to this garage. There's like a mother-in-law suite above a garage, and um, I don't even think we had mics or amps. We like plugged our guitars into the board and shit, and like it was super awkward. And it was awkward because like, I really didn't know how to play guitar at all. And we were writing these weird-ass songs anyway, like real weird. And our drummer was a super talented drummer, but he would write a lot of the shit on guitar and be like, no, 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 like this, like this, like this. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> like, and then we just dumb it down to where I'm just going, dee, 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 and then Rich would do like, dee, 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 you know. Um, did you know how to play, though? Like, I mean, how did you learn how to play? I never learned how to play, really. I would just, like, I learned power chords, and I would, like, you know punch into different tempos like if someone played drums then i would you know make something up but i don't know you know what i mean i would like i knew a couple riffs you know what i'm saying like wow, playing and listening. You... but so we had this idea that we wanted to be like you know there was already all this you know like i said it was the 90s so there was a lot more uh trying to have something with a bop like uh what was that drift again you know what i'm saying like quicksand like trying to have yeah something yeah with, like, yeah that tempo mm-hmm. and then but then the guys that we got together immediately became just a bunch of different ideas. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think, like, Craig, our drummer, was the only one that could, like, all right, while you guys are all talking about it, I have this song I already wrote. You know what I'm saying? Like, he he knew how to be like, let's just play this fucking song because I already wrote it. Right. You know what I mean? Because we were all over the place. Rit, metal rich, you know what I'm saying? Like, had the BC rich bitch guitar. Oh, my like, God. He came up on fucking metal. And he's a hardcore kid. He loved everything. He could play anything. But, like, so for him, and be like, all right, you want me to do what? Just, you know, and then Kelly, you know, and then, and I mean, um, Craig definitely had, like, a DC influence. Like, Revolution Summer, you know, DC. Right. You know. But so uh, our singer, Brad, sounded like from Rorschach you know what I'm saying like his shit just came straight from his throat sounded like his throat was bleeding right um, he was insane you know what I mean so we're playing these pretty little like soft chords and him just like <laughs> but I really loved what he was writing if you could understand what he was saying like you know we had photocopied lyric sheets and shit so you can decipher decipher but it was that weird feel, it was good like, we putting stuff in like I mean because you'd gone from being a you know, a fan, like someone that had gotten into the music and like, now you're like contributing. Did you feel like you were like part of hardcore or punk at that point? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I did before I was even playing music, felt like I was a part of it. You know what I mean? I think before right. I had confidence to play, you know what I mean? It kind of, my, my views on it changed. Like that band was hard for me. I really didn't feel like a good guitar player. It'd be, you know, nerve wracking for me to play live and shit. Like, and so I didn't do that for a while after. Like, I kind of got, actually got way more into hip-hop shortly after that band. We were all into graffiti, and all my friends were breaking edge. And, uh, you know, once once punk got really, like, after Unbroken, everything, you know, got sad. I kind of did, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> and so you went into like, hip-hop. Yeah. And all of us were into that. I mean, even, even all those 90s hardcore shows, it, that's how I got into... Well, no, again, so kind of like with uh, hardcore and punk in general, Lennis was really good at art. We had some like, you know, spray can art books and shit like that. And we're trying to do graffiti. You're seeing the images on the shirts, but we're drawing, you know, drawing at home, writing on, you know, writing on shit. And then you go to shows and these other guys that are like straight edge hardcore kids are doing it. You know what I mean? Like in Georgetown, doing it like for real. They have crews. They have names. Like, boom, we got to have a name. We got to get our names. We got to get our fucking... Our right. together. You know what I mean? 
And so, so it was already happening up there. And then you, you know, yeah. and then you have, you know, access and you're like, Hey, I can be a part of this too. Like, so that's interesting. Cause the first thing that like you're talking about when we're talking here is like, you're bowled over by the imagery of rock and then punk. And now you're talking about falling in love with the imagery of graffiti. And I like, guess very interesting. So you just mentioned cruise. So some people don't understand Cruz. Some people understand Cruz. I think it depends on how you come up in the world. Um, for you, like when you had gotten into punk and stuff, did you have a crew then? Like before graffiti? Yeah. Well, you know, no one took it that seriously. It wasn't a big threat. There wasn't like crews were everywhere. So like, you know, as, as long as I can remember, we had skate teams. You know what I mean? That would be our crew. Team Jaybird. You know what I mean? Like. Right, right seventh grade there was team lamb you know what i mean like we always had like i don't know i guess seeing like the Dogtown guys like you know what i mean like we were a crew i don't know like i don't know where that comes from like you said unless you're from it you know um yeah <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like a tough guy thing you know what i'm saying like we were a bunch of like we really weren't this is like before we were threatening at all but the, you know i feel like the world was very threatening uh, we, you know, well, yeah, it's, it's kind of been a reaction to that. It's like these are this is your team, you know, like these are. We you were guys all made love. aware of like, violence. We were still children, and we were made aware that the world is very fucking violent. And and that's you know what you make of that is you know whatever you know what I mean. Like, yeah, there's a million ways you can orient yourself against that. But going into that graffiti space, like, so not only are you in around D.C., which is you know the birthplace of hardcore, in my opinion. But also, like, this just fucking fertile-as-hell place for graffiti and, like, some really, like, long-standing graffiti crews like HOA, things like that. Like, what was your experience when you got into that? I mean, also, like, I, I know you used to go to um, – you'd, you'd, you would see, like, Zulu stuff and all that. Like, how, did, how, did it, how was it kind of experiencing that world? I mean, to be honest, I just hung out all the time, <laughs> you know what right. I mean? And like, I wanted to be where shit was happening, but you know, I didn't like, you know, you look back, I didn't create a bunch of shit. I was more a part of the, you know, I guess you'd say I was a hanger on, you know what I mean? But like, I must've been doing the culture some sort of justice because people let me, you know, promote their shit the way, Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not going to make your crew look bad. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so right. I, I pushed a lot of crews, but I didn't do a lot of graffiti to be honest. Like, Right. Um, those crews you're talking about, yeah, are still relevant today. And they, you know, I would call those guys graffiti writers. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like they right. put their life into it and they can't stop. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, like that's their thing. Well, a bunch of kids got busted in my school and, you know, before we even really were getting out of town. And, um, you know, my mom had come up to the, to AUP and looked at, at the wall of fame and uh, my dad, being an artist, they thought it was amazing. They were like, you know, it's brilliant. Like, this is no question. This is art. But, oh, yeah. So, you know, we approve, but you also know that it's illegal and we're broke. So, like, if you're going to do time, <laughs> that's your fucking time. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're yeah. not going to bail you out. You know, and just knowing that, like, you know, you know, I, you know why I was, a, you know, because to be a real writer, you got to rack paint, you know what I mean? And like, on my 16th birthday, I got caught stealing a starter hat at Springfield Mall. It was right. like a $14 Maryland Terps hat, you know what I'm saying? And like, I had $67 in my pocket for my birthday, and I stole a hat, and you know, my dad had to come pick me up, and so disappointing you know what i mean like uh, so, so you didn't, yeah, didn't want to put I mean? that like, burden you can, on you can paint whatever you want yeah i couldn't i couldn't i mean no that's that's a real thing man because like you know it's one thing to be out there doing that shit but like especially when you're around that age shit even when you're older than that when you get arrested that shit falls back on your family like even at any age you know like that is something that you know maybe people don't realize until I mean, well, the first part is who who are you going to call with your one phone call? You're probably going to call your parents. Now they're stressed out because you like to do yeah. art, you know? 
like right there is you start seeing kind of this connection between like you know you got to be responsible with your crime <laughs> yeah so you seeing that shit like how did you um was there a lot of crossover between hardcore and hip-hop back then like in dc I would say so. I would say so. I think everybody that was into graffiti was into hip-hop. So, like, you would go to shows and everybody, not everybody, but, yeah, I mean, hip-hop was definitely in our world. But you you got to think, you know, D.C. itself, hip-hop wasn't wasn't huge. You know what I mean? It was an underground thing. And, uh, you know, it would be, like, at the 930 Club. So it already brought weirdos. I felt like hip-hop was something that you can approach. You know what I mean? <laughs> what do you think was bigger back then, like, in D.C.? Hip-hop or go-go? Oh, go-go. Yeah. I mean, well, if you're from D.C., yeah, go-go. Like, nobody mm-hmm. cared what anybody in New York had to say, what was going on. Like, you know what I mean? D.C. only cared about itself. You know what I mean? Yeah. But but punk is different because you got all the kids coming, all the white kids coming from the suburbs coming into the city mm-hmm. to, you know, share this space. Oh, but then, you know, there were definitely... So many of the shows being that they were at churches or at parks and things like that, they were always benefit shows. So, you know, I don't know, you know, I guess you do a benefit so that you could obtain the space, you know what I'm saying? Like, but it also, you know, you can do something you believe in. So you'd see always different, different bands crossing over on the bills. Not necessarily, you know, there definitely were like all the way back to like Trouble Funk playing with minor threat or whatever you know what i mean like like we're rocking with you but to be to be real like you know it was two different audiences well it's well yeah like go-go like the people involved in go-go it's theirs it's like they they defend it they own it it's personal it's it's like you're not casually it's not pop you know what i'm saying like oh i'm right you can't lightly adopt it basically yeah just come hang out and (laughs) <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so like I saw go go bands like uh you know, a couple times at hardcore shows and a couple of times like at uh rap shows, you know what I'm saying? I saw Junkyard with K R S one at nine thirty club. Hell it was yeah. awesome. But it's not like seeing I don't know. I mean but I remember also like the big go go's hearing you just hearing it on the radio growing up in D C you would hear all the stuff happening at Cap Center and you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I don't know. You can be what you're into, but you know what I mean? But like, well, so the other thing that kind of has always kind of amazed me about you is you're not like a super political doctrine person, but you're like a really like, you have your values and and, and your beliefs like right at the front of you, you know, and a lot of stuff you do, like be it the way that you you've talked on stage or you know the bands that you've been in like they always seem to be you know having a pretty strong stance on something how did you kind of like develop and and think about you know the political side like the the kind of reconciling you know what you see in your head what you feel in your heart with the world around you like what what do you feel like was the uh thing that punk and hip hop and all of that kind of brought to that like were you able to kind of find like a a better understanding of the world in some way through that absolutely um i felt like all you know all the punk and all the hip-hop i was finding that's what was coming out of it like we're all aware of you know the political climate we're all aware of how fucked up everything is (laughs) you know and and you find these creative ways out of it but like when but when you're when you're doing that you still have to touch on what it is you're escaping or what it is you're trying to make sense of the magnitude you know these are the issues we're all dealing with we've been all dealing with and um i feel like the music sort of changes as the the public opinion changes you know what i mean like collective collectively we kind of like like right now feels a lot more like the late the early 90s you know what i mean like it just feels right right so on edge then how can you not touch on those things? I don't know. I mean, for me, yeah, um, trying to find something good in it. And all those spaces where, you know, again, like you're trying to escape, so you want to feel a safe place where a whole bunch of people are like, yo, I'm dealing with this too. I'm hearing I'm hearing this. So I always saw, like, you get the same vibe. Like, you feel like you're seeing something important and, like, that we're getting through this chaos together. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, hip-hop I feel you on that. and punk have been – 
they're both very explicit. They're both graphic. You know what I mean? You can be rough around the edges. You really got to listen to the point, the message. You know what I mean? I don't know at what point I just felt, you know, music, the shit I like, has a, an important message. People listen to music just to escape and let go. But for me, it was like I had so much going on that I needed to relate, you know? So there's right. all these people relating to me, not holding anything back, like feeling like they have they have something so important to relate, and they're so appreciative that we're there to receive it, you know. And that's the thing, like all those shows. I mean, they only go off if like if the connection's made. We're here to receive it. <laughs> oh, you know what I mean? Does the crowd holler back? You know what I'm saying? Or are you just stranded? Yes, <laughs> like that. That that is, and that you know a lot of that comes also from kind of the, that alignment of like we're not playing you know to you we're playing kind of with you and you see you know before all these things you know i don't know i always like bands like that are on their way to you know like you can just see the greatness but the greatness is there like to build up something that no one's heard you know what i mean how do people get that, that legendary status of those shows going off unless you're like holy shit man like i know this is going to be good right. you know what i mean like well and so at some point you ended up down here in Richmond. And when I first met you, you moved down here to Richmond. And we're skipping ahead a few years here, but not too how far, did that come really? about? Uh, well, and that's another thing, too. There's a crazy Woodbridge-Richmond connection. Like a lot of Woodbridge folks down here. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, for us, again, back to Shadow Man, you know, the shows down here, like there was no traffic south of Woodbridge back then. You can leave at any time of day and be to Richmond in an hour. And for us, that was cool, you know what I mean? Like, we love going to D.C., but it's it's an ordeal, you know what I mean? And, like, Richmond had cool shows. Richmond had – it was the same th- – I don't know. It was still the same thing. I mean, I think by the time I was really going to shows down here, we, we were – kids down here were finding graffiti as well, you know what I mean? I just think skateboarding, street skating, really, you know what I'm saying? Like, we really – I don't know. I guess we were all just looking at Thrasher, but, like, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't too many people that were going to commit because you would be fucked with if you – like you were saying, if someone wore all black, but like just in general, like it just seemed like your expression could uh, cause an altercation. Cause an altercation, yeah. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You know, yeah, what I mean? there like, was they, like they, they that was, it definitely social, was like a rebellion. Yeah, people get real upset if you had a fucking mohawk back then. If you had different yeah, hair, or if you sh- like, I remember shaved it off, or yeah. But so you moved down here like what ninety seven. Yeah, yeah. Ninety seven, ninety eight. Um, had Early you lived ninety Had you lived in other like on your own before that, like in other apartments or friends and stuff? I I lived in a and before that for about a year. I lived in a townhouse in Woodbridge, um, okay. and then I moved back to my parents' house for like a couple of months. Uh, you know, six or eight weeks. You know what I mean? Trying to figure out what I was going to do next, and I came down here. So the night that I met you, it was because I had just gotten my Hato 4 tattoo. And Jesse is like, hey, this is Jason. He just moved down here from Woodbridge. <laughs> He's got a tattoo, too. Like, y'all should hang out. And I remember we hung out, <laughs> like, nonstop for the next two weeks. You know, like, just... yeah. How how did you come down? All, all, you had just started playing guitar, I think, for 804. Like, how did you link up with Jesse and everybody and decide to, like, move down here? Um. Well, so I was working at a gas station in Woodbridge. Right. And Mark Meza and Linus and uh, Jason Rainey lived together, and they would come in late night, you know, work in the graveyard. And they would just come in and hang out, man. You know what I mean? And, and it was for real. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, what are you doing up here? You know what I mean? Like, we're in Woodbridge working the night shift at the gas station. You know what I mean? And, and Mark was like, let's go to, you know, he was going to school. Was he going um, to VCU? Yeah. Okay. He's like, I'm going to go to VCU, man. Like, uh, so, I'm, you know, we'll get an apartment. And he was still going to show steady at that time. You know what I mean? And by then... Like, uh, Built to Last came out, and I was listening to that heavy in the gas station, and H2O was doing the damn thing. And it was like, I was feeling, you know, again, like when I, when I went hardcore 
you know, the nineties were cool. They were weird, but then like, you know, my brand of it, you know, unbroken came out, everyone dyed their hair black and got suicidal and shit. And like, um, I don't know. So when built to last came out, I don't know that shit. It was that spirit. Reminded me, you know, yeah, it was that hard. It was like a harder spirit. And we're talking about the Sickerball <laughs> record built to last, right? Yeah, well, it was a harder spirit, but it was like not like denying any of that fucking heavy shit that we're going through. It was just that, hey, you know, it's that too. We can do it, like you know, yeah, we're yeah. here together. Pick pick your friends up. You know what I'm saying? Like you got your yeah. friends. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you got your friends. You got a lot to live for, and that's what you know. So, and I I'd known Jesse for years before that. You know, um, but it seemed like uh, you know I don't know what it was because it wasn't exactly the same Richmond, you know, that I had, uh, you know, that I'm so fond of like avail shows and, uh, first five through. And, uh, you know, there was always a political fucking kind of DC ish vibe, you know? I mean, there was also other people in that, that weren't into that. There was always that sketchiness in Richmond, but I think yeah. by the time, like, 97, 98, it was super sketchy. You know what I'm saying? It was, But for me, all the shit I'm seeing in D.C., I don't know. You know what I mean? Like I said, so, I, you know, I'd eaten psychedelics for a couple of years. I'd already broken edge. But, you know, I don't know. It's like accepting that and moving forward. <laughs> you know what I'm right. saying? Like, I was able to, like, be like, all right, um, I'm here now. You know, yeah, I, moving forward from having broken edge, but it's like, I don't know. I needed, I needed to be around friends that were like, you know, there was still a lot of stability in that group. You know what I mean? Like For even sure. people that drank or got high, it wasn't like to any point of abuse. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. It was healthy. And you know, it's so funny too. Cause that band, you know, it, some people think of it as this like crazy straight edge band. It's like, you got you on guitar you got Matt Bedford playing bass, both very not straight edge. And um, Sam wasn't straight edge before me. Uh, Hobby playing right. drums, yeah, not straight edge. Fucking, uh, well, the whole crew had that vibe. You know what I'm saying? That like, yeah. But that's because of what was. It's so easy just to fucking put something in a box, and you're seeing, you know, Courage Crew and all this, you know, shit on the news about Salt Lake and. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, because it was militant, because it seemed so fucking to them, I guess, you know, militant. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. There definitely was that, like, (laughs) that sketchy ass fucking vibe. You know what I mean? Like, um, just being vegan back then seemed like aggressive to people. Like, if you told someone, like, I'm a vegan, like, it was like, like, it was almost like fighting for some And then they're going to testify why it's. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anything was, and that, and that's what I'm saying. Shortly before, you know, Hato Four Crew. I mean, these were, you know, yeah, these were all vegetarian kids, vegan kids, straight edge kids, like at least somewhat aware of. I don't know. <laughs> um, I think all of them, all these kids wanted to like. It seemed so sketchy at the time, but you got to think, man. We were, we were, not trying to put it like say it's just youthful folly it's not what i'm saying is like you have this kid you know jesse looks like my kid you know what i mean like this beautiful caring he looks at the world so sweet and imaginative smart everything right and i can only imagine that if that if that kid grew up with a closed fist being told you know i just don't think people realize that like no kid wants that kind of violence yeah. So like for for so for us to like perpetrate that violence, it's it's sad really because like you, you can only imagine what kind of violence or pain we must have felt to want to do that to someone else or at least make you feel like if you, you know, for us it was just one thing. It was just like supporting your friends and if you come between this, we were we're going to fuck you up. Yeah. Don't mess with any of my friends. We a lot of us have been messed with in different ways, that, you know what I mean, that like and really, aside from that, there wasn't any really macho shit, be a man shit, tough guy shit going on. Like, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Like, it's such a weird, it's such a weird dynamic. Because like the way people look at it, like I've had friends over the years that 
kind of were outside of that and they, you know, their ideas about it, like the way that they would perceive it is not, it's not really anything at all. Like the way that folks are. And yeah. And I think there's a bit of that, like, you know, that kind of, I love that saying hurt people, hurt people. You know what I mean? Um, like people that have been hurt end up, you know, kind of being able to hurt people. But on the flip side of that, it was also one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen, you know, cause you got a, especially for people that come from, you know, fucking childhoods that tested them in some ways. And maybe they didn't feel like they had the strongest family stability or something like that to have people that would, um, you know, stand by you, vouch for you, support you. Encourage. Encourage, encourage you. Yeah. Encourage the best parts of you sometimes. And, you know, also do some dumb shit, but like, but all, yeah, but actually like see you, you know, especially, I mean, that's the other thing too, is like to kind of put that into context, like Richmond back then, like I remember the first time I went to Jackson Ward around that time, like 97, it was still when, you know, if you heard tires screeching and pop, 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 pop out the window, like that was what Jackson Ward sounded like at night drive-bys, yeah. you know? And so a lot of that you know, toughness and whatever is definitely in reaction to the way society was around us at the time. Wouldn't you agree? Well, absolutely. You know, like I was bringing up some of the personal violence we encountered, but everything around us, you know, I mean, D.C. and Richmond being, you know, top five murder capital year after year after year, just growing up in the crack era and um, seeing the, the effect that it had, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you're you're just made completely aware that this world is violent. You know what I mean? And like, it's scary. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and you don't really <laughs> to have be to honest. Enjoy, but like, mean, you couldn't show any. I mean, I don't know. I've never been in a more encouraging place where people, you know, we greet each other with fucking hugs and mm-hmm. you tell each other we love each other and fucking we care about each other. And like, the only time we really talk shit or get hard on each other is like when you're fucking up, like, I care about you. You know what I mean? It's like to be able yeah. to call, call you out when you're, when you're fucking up. I mean, that's a beautiful thing. And you know, it's weird. Cause I kind of took that for granted having that with everybody. And, you know, I talked to some other friends and they didn't have that. And, um, you know, they went some very different directions and the idea of being like radically honest with their friend to like call them out on something like that they just view that as like creating conflict. And it's like, man, the conflict's already there, dude. Cause I care about you and you're treating yourself poorly. And I love you. I'm going to call you out on that. You know, it's so weird how people have those dynamics, but with that band, you guys went ahead and you, you guys played some damn shows. You put a seven inch out. Um, you guys played CBGBs. Like what the fuck was that like? Oh uh, man, that was, Amazing. That was like uh I took a shit there. Um, we we opened the the show. It was what? How many bands played? There were like twenty bands or something, right? That was it one was of Tyler bunch. King's la- last shows, one of his last shows. Um and I think Jason, I don't know how they all knew him. I don't know how we I think Jason or Jay, I don't know who knew Tyler like that, but uh you know, someone got us on there and it was my first time being at CBGB's, you know, yeah, legendary. Me too. It's my, yeah, and it's like I think it's the only time, really. And uh, but my first time, only time there, I played there. So and we, you know, it was incredible. We recorded it, made a demo of that, which sounds good. Except for you can tell we were just nervous as shit. Like we nailed it, but we played like super fast. How would you not? <laughs> I mean, I remember, like, I went up with y'all for the show, and I remember just like standing there realizing like, holy shit, dude, we're in this like continuum right here. Like we're part of this continuum of hardcore punk. It was like such a like transformative experience to me that when I got home, I got llama tattooed on my stomach. Cause it was like the first time I felt as a human being, like I could really like own my day or something just from like be like it made me realize that like my life is real or some shit. It was weird, dude. Like watching guys play there was like a transformative experience for me. And it wasn't cuz it was like some crazy place, but it was just because I don't know, like also the spirit in there was just 
kind of magical. You know what I mean? Oh, it like, feels you ever to me as business? well. It, like, well, I just okay. remember as that show, the rest of the rest of the day, like all those bands playing, and you know, um, to the point where I'm pretty sure it was way past capacity. There were hundreds of people outside. Yeah, and and you know, and I like so I started going to shows at 13 years old. Uh, you know, had that little time falling out, and and like so, 13 to you know, 18, 19, I'm all into you know, like just being straight edge and vegan, and into uh, the trends that I really felt like, you know, when I stopped being straight edge, that like I let down so many people, you know what I mean? And like, right. um, I think at that time I was seeing more of like that there's room for everybody, you know what I'm saying? Not just the straight edge kids or like whatever, like, again, like you were saying, like, uh, this continuum and you're seeing like 50 year old punks and skins and, you know, every fucking just that everybody was still there. It's like you grow into this. You don't grow out of it. You know what I'm saying? That this is a, a, a lifestyle. And, and you know what I mean? And like, yeah, like you said, when we met, we hung out, you know, for a week straight. Like I, like I was definitely trying to see, you know, the conductivity of punk being way bigger than, than one thing. You know what I'm saying? And like so many ways that people can express themselves. And they were all, they were supportive of all of it. You know what I'm saying? And like seeing that in Richmond, it was happening, man. Like they were playing, even before I was in the band playing with Alabama Thunder Pussy and yeah. you know what I mean? Like coming up into that time, all the bills, uh, I feel like punk and hardcore had broken off into so many little facets that you can go to a show and all seven bands are like the same kind of band, you know, where you right. could just be really, you know, you wouldn't go see five straight edge bands. You know what I'm saying? Like you would see, you just see some of those bills. Like I saw one, it was like killing time Avail, Endpoint, Ashes, you know what I'm saying? Like, Right, all over the fucking place. All over the place. And then, so, you know, I tried to hang on to that, really. Like, you know, I mean, so much, so much of it was the, kind of the same at this point, but we tried to, tried to showcase everything, you know, especially regionally, you know what I mean? We were playing with Project 208 and trying to squash the beach beef, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, that too was nice. <laughs> like, uh, and like by the time we were dead serious and shit, we were playing with skinhead bands and pop punk bands and Well so yeah, so that so what you're talking about right there, like that was kind of a crazy thing when you guys formed Dead Serious because it was like, okay, mo- is most of the dudes from Hate O Four forming this punk rock band, basically. I mean it was a hardcore band. I mean it was like a hardcore punk it was like well, it was it was like the spirit of the best of both kinda, you know what I mean? Like like Jay's like angry as fuck singing. Um, but his lyrics, even when they're negative, they're still kind of positive in a weird way. <laughs> you know? um, and, and, and you guys were just, just really just amping the energy up. Um, was, was that change to like going more in that kind of like kind of punk direct? Was that because you guys were just seeing so much, acceptance and stuff because i mean halo force sonically was like very just hardcore like just straight up and then dead well i didn't write i didn't really all those songs were written when i started playing in halo four like the first two demos were already written you know what i mean the seven inch sam and ken uh was in the band and uh jeremy i think jeremy did play drums like they, they had a bunch of you know it started off like bar fight, you know what uh, I mean? It was like, it started off sort of as a joke and they were just going to have like the entire crew on stage. <laughs> you know right. what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like this band, I guess like path resistance or something, but like, it was just going to be like a fucking, a gang. Melee. Yeah. <laughs> so it started off as a band and a gang, you know? Yeah. I remember Everybody people that would be like, Oh, he's in hate of four. And you'd have to like specify the band or the gang. Because everyone in the band was in the gang, but not everyone in the gang was in the band. <laughs> well, that's how Press Your Luck started, you know what I mean, with the whole uh, sideshow. the pro, And then we're like, no, we're a band. But we had, you know what I mean, we had this, it started off with this whole circus. Yeah. But, you know, you couldn't do every show like that. Do we have songs that we could play without the sh- without the sideshow? And you know what I'm saying? Like That was such a crazy really thing. Run. That whole like arrangement that bar fight like you guys were like turning shows into just 
crazy melees of fucking <laughs> whatever. Yeah, that one in Casey's backyard had to be the best one. Uh, well, I don't know. There's a couple, yeah. And and so when y'all started doing Dead Serious, like, I mean, you guys, you guys also following the name, like, I mean, you guys were taking it pretty seriously too. At least in, in like terms of actually trying to write songs, like actually trying to write lyrics, like talking about shit that you know y'all are about and stuff. And you know you start putting out records. Like, what was that experience like? Was because that was probably like your first band that like you, you might maybe like you decided like I'm gonna fucking do this and play and actually like put shit out. Yeah, really, that's when I started, you know, not fronting on myself. Like, that's the shit that I could play. That's the shit I wrote. I, I was more comfortable presenting to them, like, hey, I wrote this. And they, they'd be like, fuck yeah. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, <laughs> um, right. Yeah, so it, it, it worked. And then, you know, we were all sort of just wanting to do the same thing at the same time. And it was nothing, like, pretentious. Like, it's just, it, that's what I could play, and I, and I didn't want to overdo it, and I wanted to be able to just do it short and sweet, get the point across. Like, that was the spirit, like you're saying, the spirit of it. And we didn't need too many fucking, you know, beat-down breakdowns, but we still needed a, you know... <laughs> a nice watch part here and there. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? But, like, but then Brian, incredible guitarist, and... I mean, it's hardcore, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, a, a simple riff could be everything. I mean, they're all pretty simple. <laughs> but it's, like, what gives it that, like, authenticity of the moment that, like, you're declaring it. You you're, you know, these chords are mine right now. And it just sounds right, feels right. Yeah. Um, and that's where, like, I just felt like we can find our place then at any show or any anywhere with any people because it was just... If we just gave that same vibe, even if you know, even if your songs sound different, you can just get up there and fucking own it like we did. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. not that hard. It was fun, you know. And uh, and all of us contributed. And that was, you know, we all loved doing it. We all contributed. We didn't hate each other's shit. No, like, hey, let's do that. And we we could uh, all speak up and not get our feelings hurt if somebody wanted to change your shit a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds like a really actually positive band environment. Yeah, when we'd love to do it. We'd practice two or three times a week, you know, just to have it like, this is fun. Yeah. and it's- So you ended up doing that for a bit and then um, kind of got out of it and kind of just started living your life. And kind of like one of the last things I really want to talk to you about on here um, is the other big journey that kind of like me and you both embarked on right around the same time. And that's of becoming parents. Yeah. You know, and like that's been my life. I mean, I still have a life on top of it, but like that is my primary identity now. It's like I'm a dad first, everything else second, you know, and I think you take it very much the same way. And I, I know that's like very different than kind of the way parents were when we were growing up, you know, it was kind of like parenting was kind of treated as something that like, you know, well, I'm a, you know, I, this is my job and then I come home and yeah, I've got a kid, you know. Um, yeah, you feel about it? how do you look at that? Because I mean, I, I've got my thoughts on it, but like, I'd love to hear yours. Well, you always try to do a little better than your parents did, you know. And uh, you get to a point where, of acceptance of your own parents. Now, you can't change the things that were bad, but you can maybe find some silver linings or some things that were good. You know what I mean? To have some foundation. Like, I really appreciate how I was raised. You know, right. so I want I want to raise my kid um i don't want to say in the same way but i want to ha- you know i want to be just as good as my parents were as far as just like accepting my beliefs encouraging encouraging me and i think i got that part in the bag like i'm going to be a great friend that's my my strength already but like you're saying you know our generation was different for a lot of reasons it was just normalized it's still normalized i think everywhere that like you go to work and that just makes you a provider and that's the best thing you could do for your kids. Mm-hmm. That's not the only thing, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, right. You right. Provide. Um, and so, you know, much like my parents, like we're not hiding what this world is like. He's already being made aware of all kinds of things that are like, I don't know. Is that wrong? I question it. You know what I'm saying? Like, am I going to, you know, but because some people are like, oh, I don't want my kid to see this or know this about the world, you know, and they're going to find out eventually. I'd rather they find out under 
when I'm with them, you know what I'm saying? Like under my roof or under my care so that I can explain it, like not wait until they move out on their own for the first time and go to a city and find out that there's problems. Yeah. Cause it's like much, you know, easier to explain like if this, you know, this feeling, you know what I'm saying? That we all like, you see a homeless person, you know, and you have this feeling and it's like, what is that? Yeah. It's not, it's not right that this person doesn't have, you know what I mean? It should make you feel a type of way to see somebody freezing and hungry. Like what's, you know what I mean? There are problems in this society that if you, you know, if you don't think that's right, then don't ignore it. Yeah. And that's uh, a hard line to toe between, you know, because we want to protect our kids, but we also don't, you know, we don't want to traumatize them, but we also don't want them to be ignorant. And so like safety breeds ignorance to a certain extent and like, you know, removal breeds mis not you know not understanding it it prevents compassion from arising and so there's this balance of like you want to expose the kid to the realities of the world but in a way that is explained um you know comes with understanding and support but it's still going to be a little traumatic you know i mean like when like for example i know you know during the blm protests uh i know you had talked to me about you know taking uh your son down to um, the monuments and having to explain it to him. And, and we were kind of in this, you know, conversation about it because my kid was, was kind of up, like upset by it. Like they didn't understand, like they could tell like something was up, like there's graffiti on things. Well, is graffiti bad or good? You know, um, you know, it's like, no, these are good things. And having to explain something, it's like, you know, cause kids, you know, they, they count on like the normalcy of the world around them. Well, you know, and, and obviously like, it's so it's, it was beautiful when it was all said and done, how many different colors, but that sort of graffiti definitely is like, uh, with an exclamation mark. Yeah. 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 There it's like, it's sending a clear message and it's like a discontent, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. Um, that's what it's supposed to do. So they definitely felt it right away. Like this is, there's something happening here. Like, yeah. Yeah, so they're like, so what is going on? So what's going on? And, you know, yeah, Judah, the same way, when we rolled up there, he was like, who would do that to these statues? You know, they're so grand. And any statue, you would only imagine that it has to be somebody good. Like, why would there be a statue of somebody bad? So you're just like, you know, an amazing statue if you don't know anything about it. Well, I mean, you know, and that's, that's kind of, that's an amazing thing for a kid to realize is like, wait a minute, we live in a society where things can actually have a statue erected for them that like a lot of the people in the society don't agree with. Like that's kind of a crazy realization for a kid to have that like things could be that contested, but like they're up, you know, cause like in the structure of like a family or something, it's like, if you don't if you, like in the house, it's like, if you and your, and your partner don't agree on something, that's just not existing. And even if one of you agrees on it, and the other one doesn't, it's probably not going to exist either, you know, maybe, but you know, it's this, it's this weird thing of like, Oh, and there's money behind it. And it's like grand. And then what does that say? And then also having to explain racism. I mean, that was the other thing that I had to explain to. Well, that was the whole thing. Right. So, you know what I mean? Like, honestly, it's like, okay, well, here you go. Uh, Right. (laughs) Let me explain to you what this statue means. And let me explain to you all these people and uh, all these pictures and why everyone's so upset. Yeah. At one point, I remember him asking me, like, am I bad because I'm white? Oh. <laughs> you know, because he's hearing so much shit. You know what I'm saying? And, like, it's just a lot to take in. But, like, you know, so, yeah, again, are we, like, traumatizing our kids? I'm sorry. You know what I mean? Like, not sorry, not sorry. A lot of us don't want our kids to know that. But, you know, <laughs> you just think black parents having to teach their kids how to get home from school and not be killed by the police. Like it would be yeah. a privilege for him not to know any of that. Uh, right. But right. Like, I mean, as, as kids that grow, you know, we're all kind of like socialized into that stuff. Like we all have our inherent biases and, and stuff from the society. Like, um, and it's hard to, you know, look and realize that you're carrying a bias that, actually leans a certain way that maybe you didn't even realize because you're just so used to it, you know, but, um, 
it, it's interesting that, you know, like that's that kind of work that like, if you, if you want to actually try, you know, like a lot of people ask, like as white people, what can you do, um, to support, you know, equal rights, like really, um, like for once. And one of those things is, you know, to kind of accept that you do have this choice where you can not address it with your kids at all. And you can kind of just skate right the fuck over that and let them, you know, look at a magazine cover in 20 years or, you know, see racial inequality in their, you know, in daily life and, um, you know, let them figure that out on their own. You know, the flip side of that is like, you're actually actively trying to explain it. And and the thing that I think is like really crazy to me is how easily these kids get it. You know, like how much with my kid, their compassion has always kind of like blown me away, you know? Um, Yeah. You know? Yeah, they get it. They get it pretty quick, you know? You're not going to get to the the heart of the matter by just, you know, telling kids that they're okay and they don't have to fucking worry about it because it wasn't that, you know? And that concludes my conversation with Jason Orr. You can check him out playing guitar with his band Dead Serious on most streaming services. You can find more episodes like this on most podcast streaming services as well as at our website, VariousThingsPodcast.com. This has been Various Things. Thanks for listening.